We're good. All right. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Let's Get Into It. I got to say, I've been listening to these. They're really good, Robert. You're really good. Yeah, you're really good. Yeah. Really? I'm kind of just like the guy in you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I you chime t- in but here and there. You know what I like about you is you pitch every show you're pitching. Let me tell and you And your something. pitching's getting better and better and shorter and shorter. I mean, I don't know. Well, I'm like Goose Gossage right now. I'm coming in at the end, right? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Goose? I remember the Goose. I think I'm going to do a mustache like that after. Yeah. I think the shows are good. I want to remind everybody why we're doing this. Originally, well, you forced me to do it for starters. I kind of did. Yeah, you forced me to do it. So I'm now, I'm now like... It's like my sentence to come here every week and do you this. You love work. it. Knock it off. But I think the, the key was, we're, I'm, I've been an independent filmmaker for you know my whole life. You're a young filmmaker. I think it's important. about the young? All right. Maybe not that young anymore. <laughs> but I think it's important to tell your stories about how you get where you're going and that it's possible. Yeah. It also invigorates people's imagination, makes people realize, oh... If you have an idea, you have a goal, there's a way to, to reach it. And, you know, today, dude, this is a very exciting day. It is. We've got Antoine Fisher in the studio, which is... Amazing story. It is an amazing story. I think when I met him, I was sort of in awe. Like, yeah. I was really... Because I had seen the movie, probably a few times I had seen the movie. I was a big fan of the movie. All my friends were fans of the movie. And then all of a sudden, you know, I meet Antoine and I'm like... There he is. I can't believe this, right? And I've always wanted to work with him, and I've tried my best to get uh, things going with him. You know, Mario, him and I had a pitch that we that we developed. We didn't sell it, um, but we had worked together on it, and I always wanted to do something with him. And for some reason, it's just you know, as a producer, it just it, it doesn't always work out. Like you're not able to connect the dots on stuff. But super talented dude, probably one of the most talented writers of our generation. Yeah. And uh, he's done a ton of movies, Antoine Fisher being the first, and we're going to hear how that happened. Uh, He did ATL for Will Smith, which, by the way, I love that movie, too. It was a great movie. Um, He rewrote Rush Hour. Yeah, wow. We'll get into a lot of stuff. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, my friend. There's there's movies that he's been paid to write that never got made. Um, Paid is the key word right there. (laughs) Now, does that make a difference? I don't know. We'll see. But tell us about... Your movie and what's happening with your ten thousand dollars? Good movie. stuff, Roberts. Really good have stuff. Have you happening raised lately. the rest of the money I, for the movie? I have. I have. Is it still ten grand? It's still ten. But get a load of this. So a buddy of mine, what, the executive producer who who backed me originally, um, we have a mutual friend out in Vegas, Italian guy from back east. He uh, he runs a big steakhouse and does all kinds of stuff. Great guy. And we've talked about films for as long as I can remember. We go in there, have steaks at the bar, drink. It's great. Mm. Um, so my my buddy's out there, the guy who EP'd this, and he hands the phone to this guy. And this guy goes, I can't believe you didn't come to me, ask me for money. I said, what are you talking about? Because the EP of the show, I sent him some dailies, and he was watching it. He was sitting mm. at the bar with this guy, and he turned it on. He started showing this guy. And this guy said, what is happening? And he said, oh, you didn't hear? Tony's making a movie. And I gave him some money, and this is what he's doing. And they watched about eight minutes of it, the rough first eight minutes. And he said, I can't believe you guys didn't come to me. I can't. Put Tootie on the phone. So they called me. I said, hey, he goes, what's the matter with you? Why don't you come to me? And I said, well, listen, (laughs) I only raised a little. I'm going to need some more. He said, well, I'm here. And Mm -hmm. I invited him to the set. And he said he's going to try to make it, but he's busy out there. That's one good thing. So, yes, I got the money. Um, Second thing, I I got another actor today. Pretty, a pretty well-known guy. Thanks to you, my friend. Who'd you get? 
So now I got Lilo Brancato, who I met last week, and we did a wardrobe fitting, and, and it was awesome, dude. Was Antoine, you know who Lilo is? Lilo Brancato? No. Well, Lilo was in- A Bronx Tale. A Bronx Tale. Uh, Crimson, uh, Tide. Crimson Tide. Renaissance oh, Man. He yeah. was also the boyfriend in, um, in uh, The Sopranos. Yeah. He was in, he's been and then he went to good. prison for 10 years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I saw a documentary about him on- on, on couple of weeks ago that he produced yeah. wasted talent yeah, right yeah, that he yeah. produced but yeah. him so you got him i got him i got lopez of course you know. right uh and then lopez is playing lopez in an interview but uh i got joey medina one of the original joey kings of uh, latin comedy yeah dude he's very funny and, you know he was an ex-boxer too yeah i had a conversation with him today you you set it up roberts because right. i was I was kind of stuck because the guy that I was counting on to play that mm-hmm. that role, and it's a it's it's a day you know one day shoot him in and shoot him out, a handful of scenes, but it's it's an important role. And um, the guy that I was the guy that I was shooting for, he liked it and he, he liked the script, but he couldn't he, for some reason his schedule didn't match up, mm-hmm. and I couldn't pay him what you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So he said I can't do it, bud. And I said okay, and so I was like, damn, what am I gonna do? And then. You popped into my head, and then you set that up via text, and you got the guy. You know. Yeah. I, Joey Medina is a great actor. I've used him on some stuff, and I'm always amazed at how uh, talented he is because yeah. he's a comedian, uh, he's an actor, he's a writer, he kind of does it all, but you forget that. You forget that about comedians. You see a comedian and you don't really picture them as actors, yeah. but Joey's always done a really good job. I'm really looking forward to him doing that. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And more importantly, I told him that it was ten grand. Yeah. He said, oh, it's cool, bro. <laughs> I said, I'm going to pay him, you know, but right. it's not going to be like- uh, I know. appreciate that. Good for, good for him. You know, how, how long did it take for me to text uh, Joey after you asked me to connect you guys? Instantly. Instantly, was it, I, it was almost. Instant, it was almost. Right? I said, "Hey, dude, I, 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 think I want to ask. Can you, can you set up the uh, a meeting with Joey or something?" As you were on the, as you were sending the text, I think I texted yeah, back right I, away. I got, right? I got a text saying, "Hey, Joe, this is Mark Roberts. I'm connecting with Rod Riggs. He's doing a movie." Blah, blah, blah. You know, so what? it was just like that. And then gotta, I jumped on it. And then next thing I know, I'm on the phone with him today. You got to have love in this in this business. I, uh, I tell people all the time, Antoine. I tell people all the time. Don't be so precious about your ideas. Don't be like, oh, I can't tell you it's a secret. Like, throw them out there, man. You'll come up with another one. If someone steals your idea, then obviously you had a great one. You'll come up with another one. You're not going to just have one idea. Yeah, you you really do. I I remember the first time I saw, uh, I was in a producer's office, and I was leaving the office, and there was a guy in the lobby. He had his script in his arms. He was, like, holding it, and he looked like he was afraid. You know, he was turning it in that day. And I was thinking, like, whatever dialogue you have that you think will never uh, be written again, or is this is no way going to happen. It's yeah. not going to happen. I want to introduce the very, very talented Antoine Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> Antoine. Come on, man. Hey, man, I hope I can do it again. <laughs> oh, dude. You're doing uh, it. You're well, doing it. Thanks. Thank you for being... Uh, here we have been friends a very long time uh i consider you my friend yeah we're friends right. man come on <laughs> i can make sure just making sure you've done studio movies you've written studio scripts you've done a lot of cool stuff i want to go back to the beginning uh where antoine fisher started because the story that i have heard and read is that you were a guard at sony studios before you were a famous writer is that true yes wow Nice. How did that happen, though? I mean, you were, how long were you working at the studio as a guard before you were able to get a script done? And how did it happen? And do you recommend it? Well, it was about seven months. 
I was working there. Now, I have to tell you a little bit about yeah, yeah, the front go back. Uh, my mother was 17 and in prison when I was born. I was born there. Took me and put me in, in a foster home. I stayed till I was 14. And they took me out, put me in the orphanage again. And they were looking for a place for me. But no one, they told me, would take a teenage boy. So they put me in reform school. I stayed in reform school until I graduated from high school at 17. And then I became an emancipated minor. And I became homeless because I didn't have a family. But wait, how how was, what's reform school? Is, is It's like a detention center. Oh, wow. But all the other kids were there because a judge had sent them there. Oh. So I, uh, I became homeless after that. And I saw a sign that said, join the Navy and see the world. So, you know, I wasn't doing nothing else. Just walking around in the snow. You know, I know it gets <laughs> wow. cold here in, yeah. in uh, L.A., but in Cleveland, Ohio, trust me. <laughs> that must have been something. It's cold, huh? man. Yeah. Were you, did, were, did you feel down on your luck at that point, or did you feel free? No, I. you know, as I was growing up, uh, I did a lot of crying, right? And what I found about crying earlier in life was that it always made me feel better afterward. I uh, would have different things going on and things I couldn't understand. Things weren't explained to me and it made me angry and it also made me feel sad. But I discovered after I had cried, I remember one time I was crying behind the, the garage. I was back there maybe an hour and a half, you know, and not just crying, but thinking. But when I left the garage, my eyes wasn't puffy anymore. And I walked down the driveway. I felt like I was brand new. Mm. I would set aside time when I felt the pressure was building up. It was the only thing I felt that I could do to con- control things. Right. It was hard. Yeah. People, uh, uh, kids, you know, I wasn't the only kid. You know, when I got onto the street, there were other, you know, orphans yeah. that I had known in, in foster care and at the orphanage who were also turning 18 and had turned 18. And the pimps and hustlers and prostitutes, everybody was waiting for us because they knew every year mm. around that time there was going to be a new group of foster kids that oh, was going to wow. be hitting the streets. Wow. This is how criminals are made. That's life, dude. Yeah. That's hard. That, yeah. that is. That's yeah. hard. Yeah, but, you know, and it, it, it went on and it probably still goes on in some states. Uh, for sure. States. For sure. You know, California it has done some amazing things to help uh Foster kids, you yeah. know, you can go to college and that'll be a place where you can rest and get an education in the state or pay for it. Really? Yeah, but you have to be uh, ready, you know, right. s- suitable for that. Right. Um, so you signed up that day? I, I went into the office. Uh, it was snow on the ground and they were packing up for the holidays. And they told me, you come back after the first of the year, we'll help you out. And then I explained my whole situation and, the, and then they uh, gave me an aptitude test and told me that I... I didn't qualify for any schools, but I did qualify to join the Navy. So they got me a room at a Holiday Inn in downtown Cleveland. And, dude, I took a, a shower and a bath and a shower. And it, because <laughs> all that all that time, it was, it was no place to. to right. I would go to the Case Western Reserve or Cleveland State. There was always young people there. And I would go into the men's room. I would wash my face. But you couldn't do a, no. a full thing. So. Uh, when I got to that room, you know, they're probably still cleaning it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you get in there, you explain your situation, and... I had to pass that first test, which was very scary for me because I thought that uh, all the tests were over. I've always had a difficult time reading. Uh-huh. I didn't know at the time I was dyslexic. And then those people uh, where I went to school, no one ever uh, tried to figure it out. Right. Or, 
So I was always afraid to read. And when they told me I had to take a test, and I was like, oh, God, I know I'm not going to be able right. to make it. But I did make it. And they, the following day, a sailor came, knocked on the door, and said, hey, you ready to go? Took me to the federal building, took a physical and some other tests. And that night, I was in Great Lakes, Illinois, in boot camp. Wow. I stayed for 13 weeks until it was over, and they sent me to San Diego. That's Your hometown. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I, I watched the movie, so I know it was a very positive experience for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you were able to see the world. Yes. So what? So once you did went through boot camp and were in San Diego, what was? Did they ask you where you wanted to go, or did they just ship you off? Well, in my case, uh, because I didn't qualify for any schools, they would only give me uh, the choice of uh, which coast, and I said the West Coast. <laughs> now, you know, I was. Grew up looking at the Jet magazine. <laughs> All I saw palm trees, man. Yeah. You know, I, I had to get out there, man. I'll get out here. I'm still out there. So, um, so, so it became your home. And then uh, how long were you were you in the Navy? I stayed in the Navy 11 years. And during that time, I grew a lot. Uh, you know, I developed leadership skills. And uh, I developed, uh, you know, like when I was growing up, I was uh, – you know, I was I had the steady hum of fear, like I was afraid all the time. I wasn't afraid like some people, like I try to describe how I would use crying to help myself emotionally. Uh, I uh, I saw my the fear that I had as like a warner. Like I would always get a spike when there was something around mm-hmm. that I felt like I needed to get away That's from the area. That's called growing up in the hood. Yeah, that's what it was. I have the same so, spike. Well, I know you do, but you know, when I try to explain this to some of the audience yeah. that I talk to, yeah. they don't understand yeah. it. But you grew up in East LA, so yeah, I know right. you understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's so, right. and I would always run. People would always ask me, "Man, why you run? I mean, you beat him up, man. Why you always running?" Well, you know, I was a foster kid, and if I got in trouble, they always promised me that they weren't gonna back me, my foster parents, I would, who knows where they would send me somewhere else. So I was, you know, run. I wasn't a chicken, though. Right. If you ever caught me, right. you got to be ready. Yeah. yeah, you got to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> so you did, um, so you saw the world, and then at what point did you start thinking, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to write about well, this I stuff. never thought about that because I had a difficult time reading. So how, so how old are you when you get out of the Navy? I was 29. So you're 29. You still haven't thought about writing a no. book, a script, well, anything. I was writing poems. You know, yeah. I like to write because I like yeah, I like soul write. music, right? And I just like the way that the the songs would flow and the, the subject matter, how they made a story, mm-hmm. out of, you know. And so I did like that. So I would write poems. And I, uh, on this one ship, uh, uh, I was on uh, USS St. Louis. Uh, they, I had a column on the ship's paper called it Sweet Mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had these poems, and then some of the guys on the ship would ask me to write poems for their girlfriends and wives. Oh wow! So I would charge them like ten bucks and stuff like that. <laughs> Who's your writer? Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was writer. a great start, right? right. Yeah. yeah. So you, so at what point after you get out of the navy are you starting to figure out that that you're going to write your story? You know, I joined the navy to get off the street. By the time I decided to get out, I was 29, and I wasn't afraid anymore. I didn't have that hum of fear anymore. I wasn't crying anymore. I, I didn't complain about, you know, I learned some things like I learned I was dyslexic. So I started reading and that kind of thing. So 
I wanted to get out. And some of the guys who would get out, they would go live with their parents or their grandparents or their uncle's house, but I didn't have no family. So I said I had to, I was stationed in Japan at the time. I was living there. Oh, beautiful. And I said, I have to get stationed somewhere in America where they have a Navy base so I can look for a job while I'm in the Navy and then get out. So I heard Long Beach, California had a Navy base there, and I got stationed there on a ship. So I started looking for a job that I could take when my time was almost up. And I applied at the Federal Law Enforcement Academy to be a federal corrections officer. I did everything I needed to do, and they uh, accepted me, and I got out of the Navy. I went to the Federal Law Enforcement Academy in Glencoe, Georgia, and then they stationed me at the prison at Terminal Island. So I was there. And for about four years, and I realized that it didn't suit my personality <laughs> to be a prison guard. Right. Yeah. Wow, you were a prison guard. I forgot that. That's right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, remember Jeffrey McDonald, the fatal vision killer? He's supposed to he was in the Army, and he was a captain, and supposedly killed his wife and children. Mm. And it was a lot of uh, high-profile uh, inmates there, and I was, like, like their supervisor. Right. And so I stayed there, and then uh, the stress of working there got to be much for me, and I kept thinking, like, damn, this is where I started. Right. I was born in prison. Now right. here I am again. For the majority of your young life, before you got into the Navy, the Navy seems to be a pretty cool experience. Yeah. When you went back to your neighborhood or to visit yes. your friends, what was that like? You know, when you grow up and you don't have anything but the kids you knew, you grew up with, right? So you don't have any family. You have fond memories. I have fond memories of Cleveland and my childhood friends. So when I came back to Cleveland, it wasn't a family I was coming to uh, other than the family I had created for myself with the friends that I had made when I was a boy. Right. And so I went uh, to see my friend, uh, and uh, I went, knocked on the door, and, uh, you know, when I came to the door, and it's like, uh, Fish, where have you been? It's almost like I had just uh, went down to the store and got a soda and just took too long coming back. I've been gone for years, yeah, man. Years and years, yeah. Yeah, so they said, come on in. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning, you know. And I went in there. There's a bunch of people in there at a card table playing cards and a bunch of coins on the on the table. And I was just standing there watching. And then my mind started thinking, like, oh, I remember these friends of mine. They were uh, on the scale of, uh, being dangerous about an eight or nine. <laughs> That's dangerous. They were dangerous. Right. You know, one of the cousins had killed the paper boy. Right. He, he trying to rob him and wound up killing him. And they're playing for nickels and, and quarters, dime and quarters and, dime, and yeah. you are dressed probably pretty nice. Hey, I look like a secret agent. Right. A double chocolate <laughs> secret agent, man. <laughs> And that, and you've got some money in your pocket. I had about 900 bucks, man, because I came to the city to bless some folks, man, but I had all the money in my pocket. Right. So and you I, were, you were, that, did your danger meter spike oh, yeah, a little bit? Oh, yeah, that hum of fear that I had, it came back to me. <laughs> I, I like how, I like how he put it. He said, uh, he, when he told me the story earlier, he said that, uh, he said, that's going to be a long walk to the door. Yeah. Damn. Because <laughs> I looked at the door and I said, hey. I can't run to the door, then it all sums up. <laughs> yeah. So you said goodbye. Yeah. You said your goodbyes. You you know how you can talk to people and, yeah. and take a step, and then two or three minutes go by, you take another step. Then okay. <laughs> next time they see you, you at the door and say, "Okay, guys, I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> 
you, you had all these life experiences. And then I heard that Sony Pictures was hiring security guards. I didn't have wife or kids at the time. I didn't have anything other than my car. And I only had a few more payments. So I decided that I would leave my job. They hired me. So when I went to work there, I had never been in such a relaxed environment. <laughs> you know, if, if it was the Navy or the prison or just on the street. just Really strict. Yeah. yeah. So I remember I was, uh, they call it lot patrol. So I would unlock doors for people, close stages, do whatever, you know, catch people on the lot. They don't supposed to be on the lot. Right. And so uh, my first week, uh, they said, well, there's a producer in the uh, TriStar building. He needs to get into his office. You need to go on the second floor. He's there waiting for you. So when I got to the floor, I could see him at the end of the hall, and I started walking. And then when he turned around and looked at me, he said, are you for he- for me, young man? Mm-hmm. He said it as he was turning, like an actor. And yeah. it was an actor. Mm-hmm. It was Sidney Poitier. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> and I had never seen him in... I was shocked. He said, you got to open the door? Amazing delivery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you'd be, um, I remember there was an earthquake and I was in the Capra building and I was walking down the hallway and I could hear Denzel's voice. I knew it was him because, you know, I saw the movies. I had never, I'd seen him come on the lot in his car, but I never uh, saw him, you know, face to face. So I could hear him just talking about the earthquake and what was going on and I was like, wow, it's a crazy place, you know. <laughs> Penny Marshall was, you know, she come around the corner and Danny DeVito. So it was kind of like being um, security at Disneyland. You right. see, you know, Goofy over here. You love <laughs> Disney characters. Right. You see them all there, right? And it was just relaxing. But so relaxing, I started thinking about my life. And when I was in the Navy, I saw a Navy psychiatrist who used to always tell me, you know, Antoine, everybody's from somewhere. And one day you should think about finding your family, I'm sure they like the media. And I was uh, always reluctant to even think about that because I had decided that I was in the world alone. It made it easier for me. Yeah, I saw my foster brother. He he wanted, his mother wanted to meet him, and he met her, and all he could think about was her. He got rejected there. He got rejected at the fall. So he's always getting rejected. And eventually it made him mean. He did a lot of right. things, and he wound up, at Lucas in Lucasville State Penitentiary for eighteen years or something. Yeah, that's too bad. So, I think it's because he wanted love. He wanted to be included. You know, we were always excluded, and and for me, I just accepted it. And I didn't understand that people were watching me and they were keeping reports, like the social worker. And because I was never adopted, they allowed me to have my uh, childhood records, and they said that I would accept everything with a fatalistic attitude. Uh, if somebody said, uh, Antoine, uh, this is where you're going to sleep, I would say, okay. You know, I very rarely I would complain about things because I felt like I was already in a precarious situation. You right. know? And I think that I was uh, a logical thinker right. as a kid. And I think that's part of what helped me. I remember my social worker had told me that my father was murdered two months before I was born. Mm. And there was an article in a newspaper called the Cleveland Call and Post. It was the black paper in Cleveland. So I called them and asked them about the article. They said they don't keep those old papers. But if I called the Cleveland Public Library, they might have it on microfiche. So I called them. They looked for it and they sent it to me. And I could see that the services were done at a Cummings and Davis funeral home. And I called them and they sent me his death certificate and some other papers that my grandfather had signed. 
I kept looking at my grandfather's uh, signature, and it made me feel like I actually did come from somewhere. Like it, you mm-hmm. know? And so I said, well, I'm going to get an Ohio Bell telephone book. And I, the book came. And, uh, you know, when I grew up, Cleveland's pretty segregated. So the blacks lived on the east side. And so my father's name was Elkins. There was a lot of them. And I was a security guard. Now I couldn't afford to call many people. So I called one and it was turned out to be my father's sister. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. Yeah. And when I, I called her, I, I said, I'm looking for the family of Edward Elkins. And she said, who is this? And I said, uh, my name is Antoine and I'm looking for the family of Edward Elkins. She said, well, uh, I have a brother named Edward, but he's been gone a long time. I said, I think I might be his son. She said, who is this? I told her again. She said, well, uh, she asked me some things about myself. And then uh, she said, well, if, uh, if, if Eddie is your father, you have a big family. In fact, the deputy mayor of Los Angeles is your cousin. You should go see him. <laughs> his name was Bill Elkins. He was Tom Bradley's deputy mayor. Right. So I went over uh, to see him. And he says, oh, okay. <laughs> you don't get High nothing, <laughs> but come on in. Yeah, that's funny. And so, you know, I finally had an uh, uncle in San Diego, and I went down. He, uh, he lived uh, at the end of the uh, eight hundred five freeway. Not but, Benita. That's a nice. Benita. Area. That's where he lived. Oh, he lived in Benita. He yeah. was doing well. <laughs> yeah, there was some buffalo yeah. in the back there. Yeah, yeah. That's back in the day when it was really like uh, a little more rural. Out there. Yeah, it's not yeah. like that. Either. San Diego really uh, held a, a, it still does a special place for me because it was the, I joined the Navy and it was the first, basically kind of the first home I chose for myself. And the Navy sent me to San Diego and it was the first time I ever felt free and safe. You know, when I was in Cleveland and I was free, but I wasn't safe. In San Diego, I was in the Navy. I had a place to go, you know, to eat or sleep or whatever. And I would always hang out at Balboa Park mm-hmm. and I would, just, uh, you know, just have, uh, uh, I felt free in San Diego. I, I, I didn't, you know, it's a dangerous town, just like any major mm-hmm. American city, but I didn't feel the same kind of danger right. living in the neighborhood there in Cleveland. Right. But anyway, I uh, I went and saw my uncle and he looked, I had never seen anybody look like me right. before. Yeah, and so everybody thought, well, wow, this is exciting. Eddie died in 1959. So, uh, they all wanted to get together in Cleveland and have a family reunion at Thanksgiving time. So people came from all over, you know, Chicago, out here, Georgia, everywhere. How did it feel? To well, it was kind of like I was in a like somebody hit you in the in the head and you kind of dazed, mm-hmm. but you you know what's going on. So it never really hit me until I met everybody and left. I was on the plane. I it was. A, overwhelming for me oh. because you know uh i uh i didn't mean to go there and meet my mother but they found my mother while i was there right because they were like i have an uncle his name he's gone now but his name is spinoza and so uh, i was staying uh with my sisters so we won't so i was with them right and they came into the room where i was standing and said hey uh spy said he think you might have found your mother and he said to put your clothes on and then he's coming by to get you so I'm like, I didn't come in to find my mother. This is kind of a lot finding my father's right. family. But he came and he told me, he said, uh, I have a friend named Jesse Fisher. And I told him about you. And I told him that uh, you told me that your mother's name is 
Eva Mae Fisher. And uh, he said he has a sister named Eva Mae Fisher. And he told me to bring you by the house so he can take a look at you. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is how black people do the DNA test. <laughs> take a look at you. Get the oldest person in the family take a look at you. <laughs> if they say you remember the family. You are. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I uh, uh, went. He took me to him, and he looked at me, and he says, okay, let me get my cap. And so uh, we went over to my mother's apartment. And what's interesting about that, she lived in the Longwood Housing Project and always have. When I was homeless, I would sneak into the – they have a basement area kind of – back there they have boiler rooms. And, mm-hmm. you know, they would put ca- – not kerosene, but some kind of oil in the boilers to make it a warm place. I would sneak down there, and I would – be down there because it was warm, but the super would lock the door. You know, he had his stuff down there, so I would have to stay down there until he returned the following morning. Uh, stay, she know. lived there. She lived in those wow. long houses. I was like, wait a minute, this is where I would come, you know? Yeah. But anyway, first uh, Jesse went in, then my father's brother went in, and I was behind them. And um, I saw this lady, she was stirring a pot. When you come in her apartment, is you come in, you, you come into the kitchen, right? And so um, Jesse said, "Hey Eva, how you doing?" I was shocked. I was looking at her. I was like, "That's not my mother." <laughs> Why is that? Well, you know, I was thinking my mother looked like Beyonce. You know, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid, you always yeah, yeah. think the best. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you think, you know, you always think your you image know, of your mom had been probably ingrained in your head. For yeah, years, you know, right? Diane Carroll, something, you know, Lena Horne, somebody, you know. Hey, but you know, reality is, I probably wasn't up to snuff either. You know, <laughs> I could tell okay. that she had a difficult life. You could look and see that she probably didn't make a lot of good decisions, and I didn't feel like she owed me anything. I didn't even feel like we were related. You know, the whole idea of having family still, whatever you feel about having family, I feel that now with my wife and kids. But growing up, you know, I didn't have a you know relatives like that, so I, it just was like somebody I happened to be seeing. So I'm, and uh, Jesse said, who is that? Pointed at, at me, and she mm. said, oh, that's Johnny. He said, no, that's Antoine Fisher. And she, like, oh, she, like, fell out. And it, it was, like, a, a really embarrassing because she knew my name instantly. She named me, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, my uncles, both of them, was trying to help her to the table. And I felt like it was my fault, you know, mm-hmm. that she was uh, going through all of this. And then my father's brother said, uh, I said, um, I know maybe we should go, you know, and so we left. And and then when I came back to L.A., you know, I couldn't leave because I, you know, they weren't going to allow me to leave and go on this trip, my job, because I had just started working there. I didn't have any leave built up. Right. But when I told uh, the security uh, chief uh, that my story and the reason why I went to go, he said, go ahead and go. So when I came back, you know, I had. Barry Josephson and a lot of other studio executives wanted to talk to me. What? Who had, told them, who had told them your story? The studio. I mean, the chief. The studio chief, the chief walked around telling chief, your story? No. Chiefs, imagine this. Chief sitting at lunch telling one person. Someone hears it. And then, wow, you know, this is a person who's on the lot. Which guy is one of the guards? And then, okay, one tells what? another story. It's a story they feel like, wow, I never heard <laughs> of a story like that. Not thinking about a movie, but this happened to this kid. Right. And 
So when I came back, they all wanted to meet me. Right. They wanted to sit. And then they, they were, oh, this could be a, a good, uh, uh, might be a, make a good movie. And I said, well, I want to write it. Mm-hmm. And then they said, no. Right. That's, because, that's uh, a horrible yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah, it's a horrible idea. You know, these are professionals. Yeah. These are filmmakers. So yeah. I'm a security guard. You know, like, I have been hearing no my entire life. But one thing the Navy taught me is that, you know, when people tell you no, you know, doesn't mean that you can't do it. They may not have confidence, but if you have confidence, go on and do it. What did they say? I, I didn't even think people got paid. I didn't even thought uh, that far. I just wanted to write it. Uh, were they like, okay, write it and let me see it? No. They didn't make a deal with you. No, they no, make a no. Deal with you? no. No, it's just like if you want to be an actor. A lot of people want to be actors. They come to Hollywood and say, oh, I want to be an actor. I want to star in this movie that you're making. Yeah. I'm like, no. Right. If, you, if you say, oh, I'm a, I want to direct. I always want to direct, and I know I can do it. I haven't done it yet, but just hire me to do it. I trust me. It's right. going to turn out all right. No way. Oh, I want to write this story. Right. It's the same thing. So what know? did they say? No. And so then, and then I went, you did it anyway. So I went to uh, 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 a, uh, like, well, it, it was actually called Savons. Right. But they changed those names. But anyway, I went there, and I got some legal pass, and I started writing it by hand. And I saw a screenplay, and I see I saw how it's formatted even though it wasn't structurally right what I was doing, but I was writing it and it felt good doing it because it was cathartic for me. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a producer who would come on and off the lot a lot. And I, through a friend of his, I met him and I, I um, asked him, would he read what I wrote? And he called me about like three weeks later and said, Hey, you know, I think you have writing talent. Who was this? Todd Black. Todd Black. He said, I think you have writing talent, but you need to learn how to write a screenplay. So if you want to quit that job as security, I have a, uh, a office for you in my bungalows at the 20th Century Fox lot. What? Yes. Wow. Dude, and so the hair on the back of my yeah. neck just stood up. <laughs> that's a that's an amazing thing to for someone to say. Dude, if they said that to me right now, I'd be like, where where do I go? <laughs> but yeah, so I went there and there was a, a, a empty office there for me, and they put a computer in there. I couldn't even type. But by the by the time they get done with me, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I try it. Of course, (laughs) you know, like look, I had been through so much, and one of the maybe twenty things that I've learned for sure that is, when someone sticks their hand out to help you or stick their neck out to help you, can't let them down. So yeah, I stay up all night, one finger at a time, misspelling words, a horrible speller, and so they didn't have spell check like they do now. But I. uh, I wrote 41 drafts of Antoine Fisher. And then one day, Todd called me and said, hey, I sold your screenplay, and they have uh, you have to go down to News Corp. They have a check for you to pick it wait, up. Wait, wait, wait. You know, I ain't have no money. Never had no money. I oh. lived in a shoebox, really, right? Yeah, so you That's, go get this check. I go down to get the check, right? And so um, I get my idea, give it to them. They give me a check. $2,500, right? So I get in my car and start me a checking account, right? <laughs> Every time I take out the check, it got another zero on it. <laughs> See, I'm dyslexic, right? You thought it was 2500 bucks. It's $250,000. Wow. Dude, yeah. I feel like I'm hey, on the price of the subway all the time, man. Dude, I did not know this story. Yeah, man. Is that so, right? Yeah, so I got the check. I wanted to bank at this bank, you know, that I saw all the time. I like the way it was constructed, you know. It reminded me of, of uh, uh, Bonanza. I like the Ponderosa, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, you know, it was Wells Fargo, Wells right? Fargo, right? <laughs> yeah. So, Still I, uh, 
I uh, went uh, there, and then, you know, I kept looking at the check, and then, uh, you know, and then I was thinking, oh, no, they're going to think that this is not my money, you know, it's not my check. And so, you know, I had my hand in my pocket, I was holding on to the check, because, you know, like when you're having a dream, and you dream you got money, and you're going to hold on to this money, so when you wake up, you still got it. Right. <laughs> I was kind of make sure I don't lose this money, right? right? So I'm standing out in front of the bank, looking at the front door. With your hand in your pocket. My hand in my pocket. You know, brother, you know, can't <laughs> be doing that, right? <laughs> Better go inside or get in your car and go. So right. I went inside. I told the lady, I said, uh, I'm going to start a checking account. She said, okay, I'll be with you in a little while. Just hold on. Sit right there. So about 20 minutes passed, and I got up, and uh, I said, you know, I want to, you know, start a checking account. I have to go. She said, well, what do you want to start it with? And I put it out. Someone started with that. <laughs> <laughs> she said is this your check I said yeah it's my check and I really felt like a rush of like blood like anger you know yeah. because I never had nothing and I earned this apparently the studio felt that I deserved it right. and why is this lady questioning me why I didn't like it and, I, and then I showed her my ID just to prove it and she got my ID and the check and started walking away toward, yeah, yeah. I said, where you going? She, she said, I'll be right back. She come back with, like, you remember Mr. Drysdale? Yeah. And with all the, she come back with this guy. He's like all on my back and shit. I'm like, dude, Mr. On, Fisher. Yeah. Thank you very said, much. For they had a tray of water. Yeah. I got some water. I, and, you know, I'm like, I don't mind what to do. Yeah. And then, but, you know, I really did have to go because uh, I had to work. Right. I didn't know I could quit that day. But anyway, I had to work. So I told her, uh, well, he was going, you know, he does a lot of things that, you know, we could do, you know, uh, uh, we can help you out here. And this is a great start, you know, and, and there's so many things that we can help you with. And I said, you know, I was like, I'm robbing the bank. I want the checks. Mm -hmm. I want checks now. Right. Yeah. And give me $20 now. off of that. <laughs> 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 <Go> to Subway. <laughs> I got to get something to eat. Yeah, yeah. I'm Dude, hungry. that is, you know what? That's inspirational. It's rare. You're, um, you're Amazing blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. Do you feel blessed? I do. Yeah. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I used to go, oh, you know, crying, you know, like, and why my life has to be this way. You know, nobody wants me to keep reminding me that I, uh, they're having me here and it's not my place. And I always, oh, why my life got to be like this? Well, yeah, you know, when I got older and all this stuff had happened, I started thinking that, you know, uh, it could be a blessing, even though it was tough as a lot of things that happened to me that I didn't talk about today, uh, that really, you know, you can't get it away from, away from me. Right. I can't get away from it. But, you know, uh, to have a story to tell. Right. That apparently after all these years is helping a whole new generation of people who never saw it. Right. Well, it's a uh, it's a timeless story. You know, the movie, the movie works now as well as it did when when you guys released yeah. it. It's kind of like Oliver Twist. Yeah, it really is. It's yeah. a it's a great. So it's movie. an old story. And Denzel, it was his directing debut. Yes. So that must have been a dream come true to well, hang out with him. Yes. Once he uh, said he wanted to do it, I I was uh, really. Pleasantly surprised. Well, hang on, hang on. I'm sorry. Let me let me stop you for a sec. So they so you got the check. They bought the script. How long from the moment you came from Wells Fargo? How many days, months, years did it take to actually make the movie? It was ten years. Ten years from the oh, point wow. you got the check. Yeah, yes. Wow. But then I became a writer. Then though. so then I was writing movies. Right. But but million dollar movie. I thought a million dollar scripts. Right? 
Oscars about the end of the year. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you thought, like, I got 250, I'll beat the Oscars by January. and Yeah, we'll be good to go. Yeah, we'll be good. Career is on blast. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've... Blast off. Yeah, right? (laughs) I think it's one of the most inspirational stories I've ever heard. I mean, and I and and you see miracles in this business of entertainment every day. Every day, someone gets bought, something gets sold, some movie makes a hundred million dollars, whatever it is. But that story is really truly a miracle. I think the most important thing was not the money I made initially that I got a way to take care of myself. Yeah, I got a career. Yeah, and uh, I developed a skill that I could use, and uh, you know. I didn't have any family or anything, but I created one. You met my family. Right? Yeah, I've been to your house. I met your family. They're beautiful. Your wife's beautiful. Yeah. Your kids are beautiful. So, so you know, uh, you imagine uh, always, you know, your young life being that way. And the day I bought that house and they gave me the keys, mm-hmm. and never had a house, never lived in a, a home where I was accepted or anything. And I remember I would always check the doors at night. Make sure it's locked because kids like to go out in the backyard and they don't like the door or something, you know, like that. I still, I still do that, man. I, I, I wake up. Where I you live at? Then? In Beverly Hills. Aha! Uh-huh. live <laughs> so I can go to your house and go check the back door. Yeah, you can. <laughs> it's probably open. For the longest time, I didn't feel like my house was my house. Yeah, you, you know, know the feeling. Yeah, you, like even though you pay the mortgage and everything that happens in your house is because of you. Mm. I still lay down like I'm a guest in my house. You know, not, I don't think anymore, but I did for a long time. Yeah. You know, what struck me, uh, this one particular night, you know, I opened my, my uh, daughter's room and then the other daughter's room. And, you know, my normal wife is sleeping. I went downstairs to check the door. And I thought to myself, wow, after all that, right. I have a house. Right. And I have a family and they're good. Drive is good. My wife, you know, she's taking care of all of us, and and like, and I have this nice house, and if I wanted to rip all this floor up, I could just do it, you know. Nobody the windows. No yeah, just to go outside and throw a rock at the window and break it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a look. It's a miraculous story. I, I think what what I love most about talent, you know, it's part of the reason I'm a producer is I love talent. Mm. It's really great when you meet someone that was born to do what they do. You're a born writer. You're you're someone who uh, who creates stories and uses your life as um, as a way to tell interesting stories. And you dig deep and and you're honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really neat to meet someone like you um, and to talk to you and and to hear your story because there's lots of people out there that are gifted that sometimes just need an opportunity or need to say, I'm just going to write it, or I'm just going to make this movie, or I'm just going to, whatever you're going to do, give it a shot. You may find that, you know, you're the next Antoine Fisher. You never know. You know, uh, I had this big heavy door. You remember, I don't know if you remember the the show Kung Fu. Sure. You remember when, he was able to leave the temple and he had to move this big bowl over. Yeah. And this big giant door open. This big giant door is dyslexia for me. Right. So even now, and even though I write, I write books and all of that, every time I write and and I'm, you know, thinking up the story is not hard. No. But reading what I'm writing and all of that is hard because uh, 
it's just hard. You know, it's always been hard. So I have to, uh, uh, you know, everything is not free. You know, right. I still have to work hard, not just to get a job and not just to do a good job at it, but to actually write it. And when I do write it, it'll be something that people will enjoy. So, yeah. and, and people have enjoyed your work, your books, your movies. Um, one last thing. When you left the studio, when you got that check, mm -hmm. have you ever supported yourself any other way than being a writer since then? No. That's amazing. Wow. For 26 years. And I haven't had an agent since uh, 2000. Oh, man, that can't be the seven. last thing. We got to talk about that. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Is it out of choice or is it? Well, um, well, you had all the right contacts. Sometimes you just have all the right contacts. Well, you don't need I an do, agent. I, I do. Well, I do have good contacts and people like my work enough that they look for me specifically. And and I I think that uh, when you know I've, at the at the agencies, you know, I don't fault them. You know, they have a lot of clients. And, you know, sometimes it's not a lot of jobs. So I have to hope that when these jobs come through, they'll think of me. What if I'm at this agency or that agency? They're all sending people for this job. Right. If they don't choose me to go out for the job, then I won't. I won't be working. I have to be on the hustle all the time. Right. I have to write all the yeah, time. Well, we know how to do that. Yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to, <laughs> I have to do it. And so I used to think that I was, you know, I used to be really angry about uh, representation because I felt that they would represent me. Well, they represent a lot of people and not just me. Right. So, you know, you drive by your agency and wonder if anybody's thinking about you today. Right. After you drop your kid off at the private school. Right. right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and not thinking about you, you got to think about yourself. They're always. That's true. I think that's a good. That's a good lesson, right? Yeah. Think about yourself. Don't don't expect someone else to find you a job. I mean, it's awesome if it does show up. You that have way, to create relationships yeah. when you when you yes exactly. when you when you work for a producer. It's not like you have to be friends, but you have to do a good job. You have to, and you have to. You know, you don't just write and and because they're going to pay you, and then it's a contract, so they have to pay you. You make sure you do a good job and you do it in a way like I, I, the way I write now is kind of like if anybody tries to write after me, it's like a booby trap because I, I write so well. <laughs> <laughs> no one's rewriting Antoine no, Fisher. That's they can't funny. do it. That's and funny. The whole thing will blow up in their face. <laughs> and the producer will be like, what you do to the script? Oh man. You know, what has been, kind of, you know, what has been cool about this podcast is that unlike other ones, this one felt like a script. The story yes, started, and then it, 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 and then in the in the third act turn, yeah. second act turn, it was a explosion yeah. with the two hundred fifty thousand dollar check and the and the bank account. So um, I know I need to get you back down the freeway, yeah. so, but uh, thank you for being here. I have to Antoine. go back to the hood. You know, I'm yeah. not going to Beverly Hills Me like too. you, Mark. No, <laughs> Beverly Hood. Don't they call it yeah. Beverly Hood now? Yeah. But um, thank you for being here, Antoine. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, it well, was. It's such a pleasure. Um, your career has been awesome. Your books. You know, I showed my kids Antoine Fisher uh, because it's still beautiful, and they really and they really liked it. So, dude, congratulations! Thank you for sharing this with uh, with. A bunch of aspiring filmmakers, especially Tootie, because Tootie's yeah. over there with his mouth open. Yeah, but, but I want to. I want to say this. Maybe you can edit it in if it's a, uh, about about writing. 
because you know I'm a writer and and I found out that uh, some people if some people who are writers they're thinking about the movie getting made all the time you know and they write with that goal that's not their business whether they make the movie or not they should put all their attention and focus on writing a great story for the executives to read and to fall in love with and that way, they'll get hired again. This has been my philosophy. Right. So if you write trying to uh, impress the director or, uh, or so whoever's going to make the decision, just write the movie. And, and you don't stop writing and, and listen. I, I like to take, if, if the executive or actor likes, don't mind, to take a recorder with me. That way I never miss a note. Right. I always, and then I, 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 because in the beginning, you know, when you, we have people who don't really know what they want, but they just throw a lot of ideas at you. And sometimes it's hard to, to remember which idea they were most invested in. Mm-hmm. But when you record it, you can hear the whole thing and listen to it in a car or at home. And then I can remember. And they're so impressed that I remember all this. Dude, I, you know, don't remember. Someone's going to listen. Someone is going to listen to this and I'm, hire you. You know, it's funny is I had a meeting uh, yesterday with this director who wants to do one of my projects, uh, and he he loved the. It was a short film. He wanted me to write in the feature. I wrote in the feature. He loved it, and we already have an actor who's playing the lead, which is great. And this guy is so he's so bright. This this director, um, he and he started changing it up, and I was trying to follow along with his notes, right. And so I did, and we did this outline. It's it's a great, great story. Uh, little background on the guy. He started off as a photographer, then he went into videos, music videos, and now he's doing indie films, so you can imagine how his mind is in terms of directing, almost like fantasy and everything. Long story short, I had a meeting with yesterday, which was like two hours, and I wish I would have had this podcast before because he went through a list of things that he was like... I love the he's Argentinian, so he's like, I love the online, but we need to do this, and I think this, and he had he was drinking coffee, and then something else would come to him, and right. then he was talking about it, and I'm pretty much at the end of the three hours. I said, okay, so this is what we're thinking. We're sticking with the base, right? We're sticking with the with the, the linear story about this, and he goes, yes. He goes, it's just when we get into these dream sequences, I really want to explore. You forgot all of it. No, I did. I kind of retained it, but I wish I would have yeah. turned my phone on because. And he sent me a text today. How we're looking. I was like, oh, shit. Well, it was actually two days ago. Even. Well, we got, but I started we, working on it already. Hey, man, yeah. we got into it big time today. Thank you, Antoine. We'll see you next time on Let's Get Into It. That was great. Was I talking too fast? I was no, trying to get it not out at all. <laughs>